We're looking this morning at the book of Luke, chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 17, or 18 through 27. My name is Dustin Drake. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary Bible Church. I'm going to be reading for the New American Standard Version, the 1995 edition. And I'd just like to welcome you all this morning to our service. Starting in verse 18. And it came to pass about about that while he was praying alone and his disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do the multitudes say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised upon the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is it, for what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. God bless the reading of his word. My name is Dwight Waldrop. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary. But welcome. Glad, glad to have you this morning. So this morning we're going to make a little detour, a little zip off to the side and talk a little bit about discipleship. We're going to talk a little bit about what's involved in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me open in a little quick word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege and time to share your word. I thank you for being the great, wonderful, holy God you are. And Father, I pray that you bless this time. Help us, Father, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Help us to listen to that still, small voice that speaks in our ear as we hear your word. I pray you forgive me, Father, and cleanse me of my sin and make me whole to preach this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a kindergarten teacher who was walking around her classroom while her students drew pictures. One of the little girls was scribbling intently, and the teacher said, Well, what are you drawing? And the little girl replied, I'm drawing a picture of Jesus. Well, the teacher said, "Oh, Well, dear, nobody really knows for sure what Jesus looks like. And the little girl, without missing a beat, responded, they will in a minute. (laughs) Sometimes I think we're like that little girl is we don't have a picture of what a disciple truly is. So we try to draw one. And I think what we can learn this morning from this part of Scripture is what does it look like? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yahshua Messiah, as uh, the Jews would say. You know, um, there's so many different types, there's so many different definitions of being a disciple out there today. You can Google it on the Internet and just get all kinds of things. Some people think it's easy believism. Just pray this little prayer and poof, you're, there you go, live like you want to live. Some people think it's self-improvement. I become a disciple because I want to be better. I want to improve myself. I want to be this way or that way. Now, while that may be a byproduct of being a disciple, that God makes us a better person... That's really not the goal if we think about it. So I thought, well, let me look up what the definition of a disciple is. 
The dictionary says a disciple is a follower, one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrine of another. I thought that's interesting. So as a Christian disciple, it's a person who follows Jesus Christ and accepts and assists in spreading the good news of salvation through him. Christian discipleship's the process by which a disciple grows in the Lord Jesus Christ and is equipped by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to overcome the pressure and trials of life as we become more and more Christ-like. And when I was looking at this piece of Scripture, you know, it's interesting. When Byron, he, you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to be out of town. Would you mind, would you like to speak Sunday? And I'm like, uh, sure. No problem. Most of you have heard me before. I've had the honor of speaking before. Uh, but the whole, then it comes down to, okay, now what are you going to preach about? You know, this comes out of the blue, and, you, and I look through, you know, and I, I've got a lot of my old Sunday school classes and messages on disc, and I can go through and look at all the things I've preached before, and I pray about it. And then, and, and, but then it always seems to come in the most unexpected time. So in my devotions, I was reading through the book of Acts, and I was reading about Paul and his persecution and him wanting to be uh, tra- uh, uh, tried before Caesar. And I, and I kept thinking, man... Everything that Paul went through, that, that really is a good example of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because he said, he, he was warned over and over again, don't, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go there, don't go to Jerusalem, because if you do, you'll be persecuted, you'll be imprisoned. And yet, he set his mind there and said, this is where God wants me to be, that's where I'm going to go. And sure enough, it happened. I thought, man, that's, that's really a good example of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then this first came to my mind. If anyone wishes to be, yeah, come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I thought, oh, there's a four-point message right there. All right? Being an elder, always looking for something to preach, right? And I thought, well, yeah, but there's got to be more to it. I said, there's got to be more things. And I thought, well, so what does it mean to be a disciple? What's Jesus say it means to be a disciple? So I looked at the verse, and I looked at what was in front of it. And I looked at what was behind it. And he says, starting in verse 18, while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he questioned them. Now, that's an interesting thought. Well, he was alone, but they were with him. Well, he was probably a short distance away where he could pray by himself, but they were with him. They were there with him as his habit was. And he questioned them, who do people say that I am? And I think one of the first things we have to think about in being a disciple of Jesus Christ is who is Jesus. Later in my life, I've started, uh, when I, I, I think about it, I, I say, well, who, who is Yeshua? Well, who's Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus, Christ is not his last name, right? We all know that means Messiah. It means anointed one in Greek. But the Jews would say Yeshua, that's his name, uh, Messiah. So Jesus Christ is Jesus Messiah or Jesus the anointed one. Well, who is he? Well, who do people say that he is today? There's a lot of people out there that will say, oh, he was a great teacher. Oh, man, he was a great uh, prophet. Oh, you know, he was really a good man, probably a really, really good man. And you can look on TV and see all kinds of definitions of who Jesus is. You see all kinds of pictures, all kinds of things. None of us actually knows what he looks like, but Scripture does say that there was nothing about him physically that would draw you to him. But who is he? And I think we're going through the same thing now 
that the disciples went through then, because look at what they say. Well, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, you know, some say, well, you're the uh, prophet Elijah or John the Baptist or, or other prophets of old that have been resurrected, reincarnated. Ooh. They have all kinds of things. Well, today it's the same thing. If you think about it, some things never change. You ask people who Jesus is first, if they've ever heard of him, because there's so many people today who've never even heard the name. And if they have, they're like, well, he's that guy everybody talks about in that stuffy old book. Or that book full of fables. Or he's this or that and the other thing. But then he asks them the next question. Who do you say that I am? And then as they say in a lot of theologians that Peter, who's usually the spokesman for the group, he answers, he says, you're the Christ of God. You're the anointed one of God. You're the Messiah. I think the first thing that we have to understand Becoming a disciple of Jesus is who he is. Who do we believe he is? Do we believe as Peter believed? That he's Messiah? That he's the Son of God? He's the third person of the triune Godhead? Because I have to know who he is before I can follow him. And if I know who he is, it demands a response. If I do believe that he's Messiah... And I do believe that he is the anointed one. He's the one that came to live among us, die and rise again to save me from my sin. If I believe that, then it requires action. I have to do something. Now, Peter answered that and said, well, you're the Messiah. And then it's interesting. It's not like Jesus says, good for you, Peter. You did a good job. You got it, man. And the rest of the disciples are going, whoa. No, he says this. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell anyone. What? Wouldn't you want everybody to know? And then he says this in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and then raised up on the third day. And then he launches in the definition. The disciples needed to have their vision of who Jesus was adjusted. Because in that day, they expected Messiah to come in riding on a white horse, wielding a sword to drive out the Romans and restore the throne of David and have the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, "Mm, that's later on down the road. I'm not here for that right now. Because we see, if you, if you continue to read on, you'll find out the disciples even had an argument among themselves who was the greatest and who was going to sit at his right hand and who's going to do all this stuff. Because they thought he's going to usher in the kingdom right now. But he needed to change it and say, look, it's the polar opposite. You're looking for, to quote one theologian, men were looking for a saber-rattling, enemy-destroying leader. It must have been a shock to the disciples, but even if they confessed Jesus was indeed the Christ of God, that they had no reason for disillusionment or discouragement. If he's the only one of God, he can never fail. No matter what might happen to him personally, they were on the winning side. Victory was inevitable. You've got to know who Jesus is if you're going to follow him. You've got to understand that, yes, one day he will return. Yes, one day he will establish his kingdom on this planet. Yes, one day that's going to happen. But that's not today. 
Today we're following the Messiah. The correct view of him is, is, is important. We're following a Messiah who lived for us, died for us, and rose again for us. And he says it right there in that verse. He was going to be rejected. And then he says this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So right after telling them who he really is and how this is really going to go, then he says, this is what you have to do if you want to be my disciple. And I looked at that and scared me to death. Because here we see the reality of what genuine discipleship looks like. There's four things in that verse that shows us what a genuine disciple. So not only do you need to know who he is, you need to know what he asks. Because he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, that means it's voluntary. You've got to want to. The first thing is it's a voluntary pursuit. If you want to be a disciple, you have to pursue him. You have to want to do it. You have to say, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be his disciple. I'm going to learn about him. I'm going to learn about what he asks of me. I'm going to learn about how I'm supposed to act, what I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to say. I'm going to do all of that because I want to. Because I want to. Not because I was forced to. You know, when I was very young, before I got saved... As uh, uh, I'm from Birmingham originally, but my parents moved to Marietta, Georgia, when my dad took a job at Lockheed. So I grew up most of my life in Georgia. But as a young high school guy, uh, you know, dating girls, there were a lot of them that went to church. So I went to church with them. It's what you do, right? You want to get in good, and you go to church. So I was dating with this one girl, and I went to church with her. And that church was, to say the least, exciting. And they had an altar call at the end, and there was a lot of hollering going on. And and then somebody walked up and said, would you like to go forward and be saved? And I'm like, well, okay. And down I went, and I'm at the altar, and there's three guys over the top of me praying out loud all kinds of things. And And I'm sitting here scared to death saying to myself, I don't know what's going on. You know, I don't remember a clear presentation of the gospel. I'm just scared, and I want out of there. So what do you think I did to get out of there? I said, I'm saved. I'm out of here. And they're all great and happy and everything. And as soon as I could get out that door, I was out that door. Needless to say, I didn't date her very much longer. Anyway, but I felt forced into it. I felt like I had to do it because that was what was demanded of me. And the one thing I learned over the years after I finally did come to the Lord, and I finally did attend a church that gave a clear presentation of the gospel, and I was convicted of my sin, and I got to a place where I knew there was just no other way out. I just couldn't. I wanted this. And then over the years, I've learned one thing. I work, Barbara and I have worked with every age group, and uh, especially working with teenagers. We worked with teenagers for a lot of years, and that is one of the most exciting ministries you can ever be in. Uh, in my opinion. But I learned one thing. The teen, if you want to witness to a teen and share with it, well, anybody for that matter, is they've got to want to listen and they've got to want to learn. And they've got to want to receive it. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to convict them and to draw them. My job is to clearly present it to them in a way. But I've got to choose to do it. I've got to want to do it. And then he says next, 
He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The next thing is he must deny himself. Now, that's where a lot of people stop. What does it mean to deny myself? It's a total commitment. It's to deny yourself is putting yourself second. Now, it may not necessarily mean abstinence, although I think it does in some ways, but it's the denial of self-interest and self-pursuit and self-exaltation. Self-interest, self-pursuit, and self-exaltation. You're saying to God, I will put myself last before you. And he says, that's what I demand. If you want to follow me, it's voluntary. But next, you have to deny yourself. And I thought about that for a minute. That's pretty countercultural today, isn't it? One person put it this way. I think it's the, he said, it's the closest thing possible to psychological heresy in our self-indulgent age. If you say you deny yourself to call upon people to embrace self-denial, and for that very reason, I think we need to pause and give ear to what Jesus says, deny ourselves. Think about it today. It's all self-help. It's all how great, how do I make myself better? How, well, there's nothing wrong with being healthy, and there's nothing wrong with taking care of your body, and there's nothing wrong with saying, I want a good career and everything. But is that before God? Does all that come before Jesus? What temple do you worship? Do you worship the temple of your body? Now, our body becomes Christ when we're saved. My body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. But do I worship the temple and not the builder of the temple? Today's society, it's all about me, all about I, all about myself. We see it every day in almost every way. But Jesus is saying, no, if you want to follow me, you have to put yourself last and put him first. It means to renounce anything that challenges or triumphs our allegiance to God. It means to renounce anything that challenges, excuse me, we are to renounce anything that any yearning or any possession of anything we have that trumps our allegiance to God. We are to renounce the desire for power if it challenges or trumps the allegiance to God. We're to renounce the favor of men if it costs us the loyalty to God. We're to renounce human glory if it vies or diminishes the glory of God. We're to deny ourselves. One theologian put it this way, to put aside one's self-ambition means a willingness to let go of selfish desires and earthly security. Self is no longer in charge. God is. Too often this has been interpreted to mean that believers should have no self-esteem. Some discipleship or deeper lifer strategies have advocated stripping oneself of all dignity or anything that contributes to self-worth. But Jesus' view of deniable was immediate and practical. In other words, he's saying, put me first. doesn't mean you can't enjoy what God's given you or the position that God's given you, but he has to be first. He has to be the one that I put first. When Barb and I met, and one of the things that drew me to her was her dedication to God, was her, the fact that that was, that was who she wanted to serve. And early on, when we got in our marriage, we had determined that no matter what we did in life, God was going to be first. Now, I was in the military when, when uh, I met Barb and we got married. And I was in the Air Force, and 
I had a, a brother say to me one time, well, you can't be a Christian and be in the Air Force. Well, I'm here. Hmm. He goes, well, no, no, uh, you know, uh, the Air Force tells you what to go and where to go and where to be. And, uh, you know, and then you can't serve God. So you're telling me that my God is not as big as the U.S. Air Force? You're telling me that God can't tell them or use them to send me where he wants me to be? Well, you sure have a little God. Because my God is powerful enough to do that. But God was always number one, and he was faithful all the time I was in the military. No matter where I went or what I did, there was fellow believers, a good church to be at, and a place to serve him. And he was, you know, he always did that. But we have to put ourselves aside. Next he says this, not only that, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. One person put it this way, I have to daily deny myself. Now, in this day and age, when he said, take up your cross daily, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Wait a minute. A cross is a Roman sign of death for criminals. Wow, you're asking for some commitment there, buddy. Maybe what he's trying to say is you need to voluntarily put your shoulder under the instrument of execution. Paul said it this way, I've I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ in me. In Corinthians, he said, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting which I have in Christ Jesus, the Lord, I die daily. It's a process, a daily process. Because somebody could say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you voluntarily and I'll deny myself today. But what's the problem with us human beings? Well, we have a sin nature. We have a nature that says, no, I'm first. How many times do you need to tell a child not to be selfish? You can't count it. When Barbara and I were working with little kids, mine, me, mine. There was a old Pass the Pirate song, you know, me first, you know, me first, me first, me first, all these. Anyway, anybody ever heard Pass the Pirate? That's my nature. As a human nature is to be selfish. But the new nature, Paul talks about, God talks about, the Holy Spirit within me has to every day say, no, Dwight, you're not first. Oh, come on. Nope, sorry, you're not first. But you're not first. And most of you know my wife is sick. She has a chronic illness. So I have to put her needs above mine a lot of times. And I'll tell you what, I'm a man. That ain't easy. And that little song always comes to my mind that we used to teach the kids. He's still working on me. What I ought to be. That keeps going through my head. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit saying, mm-hmm, you ain't done yet. Okay. But I have to daily do this. When, when Jesus used this picture, like I said before, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because that death on the cross is what he's saying. Look, you have to pick up that cross and you have to die daily, like dying on that cross. You've got to die daily to self. We have to identify with him. In his commandments, as you know, I taught a whole lesson on the commandments of Jesus, and there's like 20 
five, depending on how you interpret some of them, different commands of Jesus in the New in the Gospels, in the New Testament. And and it was amazing to me. And but it's hard to say to myself, you know, I have to deny, deny myself and follow Him. I have to take up my cross. I have to die daily. And that's not easy. But if you want to be a disciple, you have to do it of your own free will. You have to say, I want to follow him. You have to say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to carry my cross every day. I'm going to deny myself and every day I'm going to work at denying myself. And then the last thing he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, that's what I signed up for in the first part. I want to follow you. So now, okay. I'm going to follow you. Well, what does it mean? I have to understand I'm not the Lord of my life anymore. God is. And that I have to work at it daily to follow him. Now, in that day and age, we know that uh, there were more than we had. The, you have the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And then you had the, the rest of the disciples. And then we had other disciples on the outside of that, many more. You see that in the first part of the book of Acts. And there were a lot of people following Jesus for different reasons. But as you go through the Gospels, as you see what happens is that, that gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Especially one time when he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, well, that's a pretty hard saying. How does anybody hear it? And he said, a lot of people fell away, walked away. He's going to ask you to do hard things. If you're going to follow him, he's going to ask you to do hard things. But it's worth it. And that's what he says in the next few verses. I think what he's saying there in these next verses, 24, whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll be the one that saves it. And then he's, he adds another thing for what profit a man if you gain the world and lose your soul. And then whoever's ashamed of me and my words and the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. So as if to reaffirm what he's saying here, if you're going to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, then you've got to lose your life. It's a warning. Forsake your selfish life for the true life. For what is it, prophet, if you get the whole world, all the riches, all the glory, everything there is, security, all that goes along with that, but then I lose my soul. For this temporal stuff. And I'll tell you, that's not easy. Because in this day and age, it's just not easy. Everything is so self-centered. But is your soul important to you? Is where you're going to spend eternity important to you? should be. Because unlike some other religions, you got one shot at it. And when you die, it's over as far as your ability to accept Christ. Because there's another life. There's another life beyond this one. And you have to make a decision about that life in this life. How important is that to you? It's like Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Here's what you've got to do. You've got to do these four things. But hey, you know, you, if, you're so, if your life is so precious to you, you've got to lose it. To gain it. That's opposite of what the world tells you. 
It's got to be important to you. If you get everything in the world, but lose your soul, what good is it? How many people have you seen taking their 401k with them when they die? How many U-Hauls have you seen behind the hearse? That's what I used to hear. No. Somebody said one time, you know, if you keep Jesus number one in your life, you have gained the world. You've gained everything. And what have you lost? This life? Yeah, there's a lot to enjoy here. There's a lot here that God blesses us with. Like I said before, there is a byproduct of following Jesus. He does bless us and give us good things. He does take care of us. But he's saying your soul needs to be the most important thing. You know, when I, when I came to know the Lord, I think a few sermons back, I was trying to remember which one that Byron was preaching on the fear of God. In Ecclesiastes, I don't remember which one that was, how far back that was. But sometimes we need a healthy afraid of God. We always say, well, fear of God means to be in awe. Well, that's true. There are parts of Scripture where to fear means, oh, wow. You know, it's like looking over something, oh, wow, so beautiful. But sometimes it flat out means you better be afraid. That's what drove me to the altar when I really got saved was I was in a little Assembly God church in Smyrna, Georgia, and that preacher was Hellfire Brimstone, buddy. He was up there. If you don't got Christ, you're going to hell, and you better get it right now. And I'm sitting back there, and the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, use time. Now, I realized later there was more to it than that. I wasn't just getting fire insurance like we used to say. But there was more to it. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a healthy fear of God to motivate you to do the things you should do. But by the flip side of it, he loves you enough that Jesus came and lived for us, died for us, and rose again for us. So he is a loving God. But if you want to be his disciple, there's a few things you have to do. If you want to follow him, you've got to want to do it. You have to deny yourself, and you have to daily take up your cross and follow him. Now I'm not I'm not preaching works based salvation at all. Matter of fact, Warren Wiersbe put it better than I ever could. He said, "Salvation is God's gift to us because Jesus died for us on the cross. Discipleship is our gift to Him as we take up our cross, die to self, and follow the Lord in everything." If you want to be a true disciple. The kingdom is closer than you think. Now, verse 27 is a tough verse. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. It's a little bit of a tough verse. What was he talking about? What was he trying to say? Some people believe it was on after this, right after this, we have the Mount of Transfiguration. Some people believe he was talking to Peter, James, and John, that they would see him in his glorified state. That's what some people think he means. Some people think that, you know, uh, at, at his resurrection, when he was resurrected, that's what he was talking about. We really can't say for sure what it means. But when I looked at it, I thought, this, I thought of it this way. The kingdom is closer than you think. The kingdom is closer than you think. You don't know. 
Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And we take it for granted when we go to bed and lay our head down at night and go to sleep that tomorrow we'll wake up. But where are you going to wake up? Are you going to wake up here on this planet? Or are you going to wake up in the presence of God? Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Scripture tells us that. It's not. I think we have to have a kingdom view. We have to have a, a view of the future and say, look, tomorrow's not guaranteed. But if I am alive tomorrow, then I am going to follow him. I've made that decision. I'm going to do it no matter what the cost. Because no matter what I can gain in this world, it is not better than God. It's not better than the kingdom. It's not better. Nothing this world can offer you. Money. Glory. Power, you know, uh, being president of the United States. Having all the esteem and of your friends. All of that stuff. Any of the physical stuff. Drugs, alcohol, sex. None of that compares. To the kingdom. To heaven. So what are you going to do? What's going to happen to you tomorrow? What's going to happen if you don't wake up in this world tomorrow? Are you going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or are you going to feel a little heat? I think to be a disciple, we have to be committed. I think to be a disciple, we can't only be hearers of the word and listeners, but we have to be doers. As James says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So if I can draw all of this to a conclusion... I need to be a disciple. I have to be a, not only a hearer, but a doer. Secondly, I think we, are, we have to be like Christ in his humanity and deny ourselves to be his disciple. He denied himself. What did he say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Please, God, don't. he knew where he was going. He knew the cross was coming. He knew the torture and the pain he knew what was getting ready to happen. And he cried out to God as a human being, Please let this cup pass from me. Wouldn't you say the same thing? If you knew somebody was going to drive nails through your wrists, through your feet, strip you naked and hang you up on a cross? That's a long, agonizing death. But Christ... Said, not my will, but your will. He decided that to put us first. He decided that he was going to accomplish his mission. The reason that God sent him here. He was going to finish that. He was going to do that. And he did. And I think we have to embrace that and deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. Thirdly, I think that we have to be aware the world does not understand this life. This lifestyle. The world will not understand your lifestyle. The world will not understand why you want to deny yourself and put others first. The world will not understand why you're following this guy that's been dead for a couple of thousand years. They're going to, except he's not dead, he's really alive, but that's, that's okay. But anyway, why do you want to, why do you, why do you care about this book? This, this old wives tale book. What's, what's so important? They're not going to understand. And as soon as you understand that, it makes 
I think it softens your heart so much that you want to share it with them. You want to expose them to the truth. Because when you see how they're going to say, why, why are you so, why, why don't you take care of yourself? Why don't you put you first? And you say, no, Jesus didn't put himself first. I can't either. And lastly, following the Lord in surrender, in suffering, in service, it's a daily discipline. It's a daily discipline. You've got to do it every day. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the renewing of your mind, it says in Romans 12, 1, by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You have to do it every day. How do you renew your mind? By staying in the Word every day. How do you renew your mind? By fellowship with our fellow believers every day. By praying every day. By being connected with an older disciple to mentor you or and then you mentoring a younger disciple. Every day. Again, what Warren Wiersbe said, salvation is God's gift to us because Jesus died for us on the cross. Discipleship is our gift to him as we take up our cross, die to self, and follow the Lord in everything. Have you done that? Scripture's clear. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want to be a disciple, you've got to decide. You've got to decide to accept the fact that Jesus lived for you, died for you, and rose again for you. That he shed his blood to cover your sin, to pay for your sin and my sin. You've got to accept that and believe that. For by faith are you saved. Once you do that, then you're on the road to discipleship. Then you're on the road to saying, I want to do this. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross every day. And I'm going to follow him no matter what. And I have to say this. Watching what's going on in our country today. Watching what's happening around us today. And and not only wars and rumors of wars everywhere. And what's going on. All that's happening, you need to be prepared. You've got to be prepared. For the day when they say, this Bible's illegal. It's hate speech. For the day that they say, you can't say the name of Jesus. If you spent your life being that disciple, then when that time comes, you won't fail. You'll have the Holy Spirit. You won't fail. You'll be faithful to the bitter end. Because, you know, for us, it's a win-win. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I go to be with Christ. Win-win. And I think about that more today than I have in the past. You know, when Barbara and I got married some 39 years ago, we didn't ever think we would see this day. We honestly didn't. We didn't think, we thought the rapture would come and it'd be over way before we got to four years of marriage. Okay. Still here. All right. 
But it still could be tomorrow. I might not finish this message. It's still possible. Anytime. But the thing I think about more now than I ever have before is the fact that I could die tomorrow. I read in the news all the time of people younger than I am dying suddenly out of nowhere. You know, I don't preoccupy my thoughts with death, but I keep thinking, well, what happens to me if, wow, I go to be with Jesus. That's a win. So what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? So in closing, let me say this. If you don't know the Lord, if you ever come to know him as your Savior, Please consider that today. Think about it. Find someone who you know is a believer and talk to them. Ask them the questions. We're not afraid to answer the hard questions. And come to know Christ as your Savior. And be His disciple. Follow Him. For He is life. And life more abundantly. In every way. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank you so much, Father, that you've made it so clear to us in Scripture how to know you. You want to know us. You created us for fellowship, to worship you and glorify you. You created us, Father. And you want that relationship. And because of our sin, you sent your Son, Lord, to pay that penalty so that we can have fellowship with you, not only now, but for all of eternity. All of eternity, we can sing your praises, and we can thank you for the greatness of your glory. We can thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us. We'll be able to look back at our lives and say, wow, God, you were working every step of the way. Thank you for your Holy Spirit to give me strength. Thank you for your Son. Thank you. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody here this, today that doesn't know you as Savior, that your Holy Spirit would convict their heart to reach out to you and confess their sins and accept you as Savior. And then be your disciple and follow you every day of their lives. And I thank you and give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name.